Hello, everybody. Welcome once again as we continue on in our study in the New Testament. Uh, in particular, right now, we're studying through the book of Luke, and we're going to be in Luke chapter 7 tonight. And, you know, we, we uh, just as a backdrop, the book of Luke, written by a Gentile to a Gentile believer named Theophilus, um, who then spread the book from there. That, that uh, gives it a little different flavor than some of the other Gospels. Um, but it's very similar to um, Matthew and Mark in a lot of ways. And um, we're once again, as we proceed through this Gospel, because we've already looked at Matthew, Mark, and John together, we're seeing the same pattern begin to emerge. Uh, Jesus breaks into the scene. He begins to demonstrate what relationship with God is all about. He introduces the love of God to broken people, uh, which flies in the uh, face of sort of the established religion. Those that are a part of the established religion have choices to make. We're going to talk about that today. But many of the leaders choose to reject Jesus, even though they believe that the miracles are coming from God. They don't like the package that is Jesus. And so they're going to decide to kill him. And that's kind of what's happening already as we move into chapter 7, 8, and 9 here. Now, last week in Luke chapter 6, Jesus basically introduces a whole different way of life as he talks about life in the kingdom. And he, he turns everything upside down. And he calls us to live in a way that uh, is really extraordinary. Um, and the, the, probably the biggest thing that he introduces, although there's a lot of them in, that, in Luke chapter 6, but one of the main things that we fight against, and this is something we need to be aware of, is that the under sort of current society in the society is a little thing, for lack of a better term, we'll call the law of reciprocity. And I talked about this last week. And the law of reciprocity goes like this. If you're nice to me, I'll be nice to you. If you're kind to me, I'll be kind to you. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. And that um, while that needs to exist for us to have society, it sort of needs to be there, as believers, as, as followers of Christ, we're not governed by the law of reciprocity. We have a higher standard. And that standard is, is that we're supposed to treat people the way we want to be treated, which is the golden rule. But it doesn't matter how they respond to the way we treat them. We're always supposed to treat them the right way. And see, that's a different standard than the law of reciprocity. And yet, very difficult to live up to because almost all of us fall back into the law of reciprocity. We're nice to the people that are nice to us. And the people that aren't nice to us, we're not nice back to. And yet that's not the calling in our lives. We're called to something that's far greater than that. And that's what Jesus demonstrates. And, and that's the point that he's trying to make. You've missed it in, in the whole kingdom of God, that, that this is the dynamic, which is the year to love God and you're to love other people. And, and their response isn't, doesn't govern our, our motivation. And that's a big change in life. And it's a whole different way to look at things. And that's what Jesus is introducing. And that's what, that gets everybody upside down. Even the, even the guys that, that are trying to follow him are like, what? Because he starts saying everything opposite. And he does that throughout his ministry. If you want to find life, you've got to lose it. What? Uh, you, you know, there's all sorts of those things that come up. Bless your enemies. What? That's not normal, right? Um, and yet it's how it's supposed to be. We can't do that under the law of reciprocity. 
But, but under the, the law of the kingdom, we certainly can. And that's the only way that we can. And as we move into chapter 7 today, what we're going to see now is some pictures of what it takes to live like that. Because you can't do that in your own strength. You can't live the life of a disciple without the help of God through the Spirit. You just can't, can't be done. Because it's too hard of a calling. And your nature won't, won't, just won't go there. And so it's, a, it's supernatural that, that allows us to begin to love like that. And, it's, and it doesn't happen like that. It takes a while because it's, it's a whole different concept. It's a whole different way to look at things. And, and if you really take some time to think about it, you'll see that, that most of us are governed most of the time by the law of reciprocity and not by the way that we're supposed to live in the kingdom. And it's something that has to change. And we talk about this all the time as we are working through the whole encouragement thing. Um, we're to go out and encourage people regardless of how they respond. It's just we're supposed to go and do it. They may never encourage you. And in fact, I don't know if how tuned in this to you, most people are not very encouraging. Have you noticed that? And it's, it's, all, it's part of the culture. We've been talking about it, and they, they just stopped. And, and a lot of times it's because they're, somehow if they encourage you, maybe they won't get what's coming to them. That, I think, is the underlying fear why it stopped. So there's hardly any encouragement anywhere. And, and so when you're out there doing this stuff and you're encouraging people, if you somehow think that, that they're going to encourage you back, that's not what happens. And in fact, if you refer to the equation, your encouragement we know comes from God. If you get any bonus encouragement, well, good on you, but don't expect it. Right? Because it's not how it comes. And that can't be the motivation. If we're waiting for people to encourage us back, then we'll just, it'll never happen. So we go out and do it. So this is life in the kingdom. Okay. So we're in Luke chapter 7 today. There's 50 verses. And I'm going to read them to you right after I take a little sip of water. If you would like to follow along, I'll be reading out of the NIV. All of them should be in the bulletins. If you didn't get a bulletin, there's some in the back. And you can grab one there. Or there's Bibles in the pews. Or if you brought your Bible, you can read along in there. We're going to be in Luke chapter 7. Beginning in verse 1, when Jesus had finished saying all this in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves you to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to him, saying, Lord, don't trouble yourself. For I do not deserve you to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and said, don't cry. 
Then he went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead men sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praise God. You would think so. <laughs> okay. Remember, because the choices they're going to make, some of these people are after witnessing that. Just keep that in your hand. They were filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to, his, to help his people. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. I don't usually comment while I'm reading, but that's a very important. God has come to help his people. See, that's the ministry that Jesus, that's the message of Jesus. But that was not the message of the established religious leaders. That's not how people felt normally. That's why this was such a big deal. Okay. John's disciples told him about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the floor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. After John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out in the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you. And more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messer ahead of you, who will prepare the way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right. Because they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. To what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not cry. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine and you say he is a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him, and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him. Again, one of my favorite situations. This man thought to himself, and Jesus answers him. That's pretty cool stuff. I have something to tell you. Tell me, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of the money, neither of them had the money to pay him back. 
So he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered, entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not pour oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And blessed be the word of the Lord. Okay. So, we move... From Luke 6, which we talked about, where Jesus is really undoing everything and turning it upside down and introducing us to the life of the kingdom, that, that we um, have to live differently. And that the kingdom of God, as I explained, is a life that's different than the life that most people experience. And, and we are not to conform to the world's pattern, um, but, but we're to focus on loving God, and loving others. And, and this is a completely different focus because most of us tend to be very self-focused. Just part of the, it's a reality. We want what we want, and that's pretty much how it goes. And that's what sin is all about. That's what gets us into trouble. We want what we want. And yet, there's a different life that we're called to. And so, you know, how do we do that? How, how do we make this change? How do we live this life of the kingdom? Because I said we can't do it in our own strength. As much as we want to, we'll never make it in our own strength. How do we move past the, the law of reciprocity and, and live under the, the, you know, the love God and love others? And in Luke 7, I think there's some ideas of the how-tos that it takes to make that happen. And the first one of those things is in the first ten verses or so of Luke chapter 7. And it's about the Roman centurion. And the Roman centurion uh, has a servant who's sick. And, and he's confident that if he can get Jesus involved, the servant will be well. And he cared, he cared a great deal about the servant. That's what it said. And so he, he sends some guys out to uh, sort of go and see if Jesus might come. Uh, and do something for a servant. And Jesus says, sure, I'll go. And, and along the way, some more of his friends came and said, listen, he, he doesn't even feel worthy to come and talk to you or to even have you set foot in his house. But this is what he said. If, if you just say the word, he'll be healed because he understands authority. And if he says it, then it happens. And you, if, because he believed that Jesus could do it, all he needed for Jesus to do was to say it, and it would happen. And Jesus says, I've not, you know, I, don't, I haven't seen faith like that in Israel. That's faith. And, and faith is one of the components that we have to have to live life in the kingdom of God. We have to have faith. We, we have to have a faith that God is able to do things we can't even imagine. We have to have faith that, that understands that God is all-powerful. Now, does that mean that he always does what we want him to do? No, of course not. Because he's God. 
And if he always did what we wanted him to do, we'd be in control. And, oh, the world would be a mess. Worse than it is now. It's already a mess. But what happens is, if we start to live with the understanding that he's able to do anything, changes the way we begin to life. And see, that's the faith that's required to live in the kingdom. Because we don't know what God's going to do. He just tells us how we're supposed to live and we do that. And then he uses that in ways that we can't imagine. And if we get stuck under the law of reciprocity, we're no different than the culture. So if we're only nice to the people that are nice to us, big deal. And Jesus says that. So what? It's a piece of cake. But, But what God can use is when you're nice to people that aren't nice to you. When you care about people that don't care about you. When, when you move past that whole process. And, and see, this faith that's demonstrated in those first verses does this. It always keeps God in the equation. And that's what we have to do. You know, I've been, if you've been coming to the Ministry of Encouragement stuff, I came up with this equation in the beginning of the ministry, which is U plus 2 PE was 3 PE. And I'm re- reworking the occasion now because I have to put God in there. And so it's U and then G is an exponent. Plus 2P equals 3P because it's you and God, see? And so we have to keep God in the equation. God has to be in the equation of our lives. And that's where faith comes in. Faith keeps God in the equation. So that no matter what else it looks like, you always keep God in the equation. Because you never know what God's going to do. You just never know. And, and think of it this way. And I don't know if you've ever thought of this, this life this way. But this is how it works. As we live our life in Him... He lives out his life in us. Have you ever thought about that? As we live out our life in him, he lives out his life in us. And that's what's supposed to happen. That's how it's supposed to work. But it takes faith. And so that's a component of this life that we're to go after as his disciples. We ask Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of our life. And then, and then we, we follow. We choose to follow him. And one of those components that it takes to follow him well is faith. The second story in Luke talks about and sort of, you know, goes, goes on this same sort of concept in verses 11 through 17. And, and it has to do with this as, as if we're to live our lives in him with a faith that realizes he can do anything, that he's all powerful. What does that power look like? What, what does that power look like? And so the very next story that Luke tells is about a funeral possession, procession. And what does the power of God look like? Jesus says to the dead man, get up. And he does. Now, that's pretty awesome. Get up. Okay. <laughs> and he does. Why is that story there? It's a picture of the power of God. And... and in these chapters, see, what's going to happen is people have to make choices now. Jesus has come, and people have to make choices. And, and the stories that are intertwined in here are about the, the power of God presented, the miracles demonstrating the love of God, and how people respond and react to those situations. And, and it's very similar to how people choose and respond or react now. And so, ultimately, will they follow him? Or will they reject him? And those are the choices that people have to make. And so uh, then we, we get a very interesting story in verses 18 through 23, because John the Baptist has some questions. And he was there. He saw the baptism. He knew who it was. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
It was Jesus. What happened? Why is John the Baptist now going, are you the one? Because he was sure before. What's happened to John the Baptist? Well, for one thing, he's in prison, which will tend to make you think a little harder. (laughs) And for another thing, you know what's happened? It's not going the way John the Baptist thought it was going to go. Because his paradigm, as for many of the Jewish people, was that when Messiah came, he would straighten their lives out politically and restore them to the, the time of David, basically, in a national way. And so John the Baptist was looking for that to happen. He, he, he said, you're here, what's going on? I'm in prison. It's not what I was expecting. And, and Jesus tells the guys that have come asking him questions, look at what's happened. The lame walk, the blind see. People are being touched and healed. The dead are being raised. He he lists all of the prophetic promises that are supposed to happen when Messiah comes. And he says, go tell John the Baptist. It's happening. And then he says, and blessed are people that don't fall away on account of me. You know what he's saying there? Guys, if it's not the way you think it's going to be, still hang on. Because have you figured this out yet? God almost never does it the way you think he's going to. It just doesn't. I have lots of good ideas for God. And he chooses to never let go that way. I can clearly tell him how to fix stuff all the time. God, this is all you need to do. And he never says, thanks, Steve. I didn't think of that. Ever and ever. (laughs) I still keep trying. But that's not how it works. So, so here's the problem. One of the first reasons that people sort of are struggle with these choices is that he's not doing what they expect him to do. He's doing neat stuff. They like what he's doing. It's just not what they expected because they were looking for a Messiah that would come and reset everything right. In particular, set them right. And that's not what Jesus does the first time around. He's coming back to do that. But this time, he was just coming to make relationship with us and God possible. And that's what this whole first trip was all about. Letting everybody know that God loves them and then making a way for them to experience that love at the cross. That was the whole purpose of the first journey uh, here, was to get this thing started, to get the, the kingdom of God inaugurated and, and to get the, into the beginning of the end. You know, and that's the time we live in between the now and the not yet. All of that happened as he comes. And yet, because it didn't come the way they expected, it's difficult for them to understand. And so, um, don't let your paradigm cause you to miss God. That's, that's what we have to remember. A lot of people miss God because he, he, their paradigm is different. By that I mean they've got God in a box, and when he operates outside the box, they don't see it. And, and if you figured out at all, God will not fit into your box. You can't make a box that big. And you're, the box that we make to try and put God in is usually real small anyway, and it doesn't work. And so we miss him. And so that's one of the problems that people had. He, they, he just wasn't doing what they expected. They liked what he was doing, but he wasn't following through with this part they were looking for. And then, in verses 24 through 35, there's another hesitancy, and, and, and this is about the crowd. And, and they like what's going on, but, but they are still sort of struggling too. And, and so they're holding back. They're kind of waiting to see how the religious leaders are going to go, what direction, what's going to happen next. They're, they're sort of waiting to really get committed into this whole process. 
And I think this is similar to a, a lot of the times in our own lives. We hold back some. And we do that in a way that we're sort of demanding God to do everything we want him to do. And if he does everything we want, then we're going to fully follow him. And that's a very common thing. We have this list of things that we really want God to do. And if he would do all these things, then, okay, well, then we know he's God and I'm yours completely. And the deal is, he is God. (laughs) Whether or not he does all this stuff or not. And we don't get to hold back because he's not doing what we want him to do. We either choose to follow him or we choose to follow ourselves. Those are the only choices. And so whenever we hold back, we're we're basically keeping ourselves in control of something that we can't control. Because you just can't. And so this is another process. And so living in the kingdom then is about realizing that God is in control and letting go of our own attempts to try and control life. And, and it's something that all of us are constantly working on through the process. And then in verses 36 through 50, it's this in, where he goes to the Pharisee's house. The Pharisee invites him to, the, to his house. And, and this is interesting because, you know, I already told you I like the way Jesus responds to him when he's just thinking. But the problem with the religious leaders was they didn't see a need in themselves for what Jesus was doing. They felt like they were above it. And, and so this Pharisee really hadn't even welcomed Jesus into his home. He hadn't provided sort of the basics which were when you came to a home, there was generally water so you could clean your feet because your feet would be dirty. And there was, there was some, you know, uh, maybe some oil to freshen up. None of that had been provided. And the Pharisee was sort of treating Jesus with a measure of disdain, actually. Invited him over to the house, but not as Messiah. Just sort of, okay, well, whatever. You're hanging out, you're teaching. People seem to like you come over to the house. And, and the picture of this Pharisee is one of self-righteousness. And that's another reason people choose not to follow God today, is, is a problem with self-righteousness. And so a lot of people just don't think they need God because somehow they've got it into their thought process that, that they're, they're okay, that they're good with God, their good works are enough, um, that, that you know the whole Jesus thing is for weak people and they're strong, and so they don't need a crutch like Jesus, that's just for weak people. And, and that attitude of self-righteousness keeps people far away from God. And it's, it's hard one to break. And all of us have to look at our own self-righteousness from time to time. Because we, we're desperate for God. If, if you don't realize how desperate you are for God, you need to stop and think about it a little bit. Because we, we're not good enough. We're not going to make it apart from Him. We, we need Him in our lives. And, and that's what Jesus is pointing out to the Pharisee. Is, 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 you know, who, who's going to love more? You know, the one who realizes how much they need forgiveness or someone who doesn't think they need any forgiveness. And, and yet, we all need it desperately. And so the awareness is a huge deal. And that's why he was able to say that these people are further along in the kingdom because they understand their need for God and, and why it's so important to have that need. And so all of that's sort of happening in this particular chapter of Luke and um, you'll see it as we progress into chapters 8 and 9, that it's the same sort of thing that's going on, is that people have to make choices. And, and Jesus is uh, putting everything that he needs to out there so people can choose. And unfortunately, we know that most people reject him. It's a very small group that ends up actually in at the end of his ministry that says yes. So that's what's happening. That's Luke chapter 7. And we will... Uh,
pick it up there tomorrow. Thanks for watching, or not tomorrow, but next week. Uh, if you're up in Williston watching, God bless you guys. I'll see you soon. Pray for one another up there. And we're going to shut it down here and do the prayer requests this evening. So if you've got prayer requests, guys, pass them up.